0: Growth stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. All right. Finn. Corey Finnerty. Um, call sign Ron, we'll get there. Uh, another class, classmate of mine, class of 2010, another senior Navy football, 2009 from Ventura, California. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, have experienced the Ventura, California experience back when Nishak was living out there. I remember meeting up with him and, and you were there too. Um, your high school was St. Bonaventure. That sounds pretty prestigious.
1: <laughs> we had a we had a pretty powerhouse uh, school when I was there and when I left, so it became pretty pretty good. Had a lot of a lot of great athletes that came out of
0: there. Nice. Saint Bonaventure sounds like you were you wore school uniforms. Did you wear a school uniform by chance?
1: Kind of had dress code. So like nice. polo shirt, khakis or shorts or whatever. So
0: like it cool Uh, a southern california brother um went to naps right so you go from ventura california to newport rhode island all of a sudden with that cold winter Um, yeah which was fun because we got to experience that that together Uh, and then you go to you know annapolis year after that service selection become a navy pilot do some tad time there in annapolis um become a naval architect for a, a, in the private industry you know and then you go to um you, you you become a government civilian so employed by the government on a on a civilian contract of some sort to be an engineer first with navsea and then later with the army right and then yep. uh you know that that that's kind of a transition there from you know the, uh, Annapolis Navy pilot into that, you know, private industry of, you know, architect to government civilian and, and to where you're at today, which is an explosive detection canine handler. So dog handler, um, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, those transitions are pretty crazy, which is awesome. Um, now settled down in Pasadena, Maryland. With your wife, um, uh, Lisa. Yep. Nice, got it right, <laughs> Lisa. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> awesome. Um, so yeah, you uh, and we'll get to the transitions. I think the transitions, which has me intrigued. Like I want to dive yeah. there, into like, I'm going from this thing that I used to do, and and now I'm doing this, and I want to, you know, I want to hear what you have to tell us about what you learned through those processes but uh before we do that we'll get into some memories and when you know when i normally do these i reach out to a whole lot of guys and, and there's so many of of our you know immediate guys and and local um you know fan base that uh they came pouring in <laughs> on these memories of a guy named ron all right so mm-hmm. um, they all ron. had a yeah, they all had a Ron story and I was like, guys, I can't just, I can't mention all these stories, but I'd, I'd rather have you summarize what Ron is. I mean, Jeff, Ram, Bobby, Andy, they all came up with these things. So <laughs> tell us who Ron is. Uh,
1: so Ron is, I guess you'd call my alter ego for when I become intoxicated, uh, probably beyond the <laughs> the amount that I should. Um but yeah, it comes from my middle name is being Ronald, and somehow another maybe it was Milky or somebody, but they just started calling me Ron when I started getting to that point where it was like, oh, Corey's getting a little intoxicated. Oh, we're gonna see his alter ego, Ron, come out. So <laughs> um, happened probably too frequently, but it was amongst good company with all you guys and everything. So try to keep him a little on the. On lockdown here for, <laughs> for most recent, uh, but he comes out every once in a while. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I, I got gotcha. you. I got a I got a Ron too every every once in a while. I just don't have a name for it yet. So I'm so working. <laughs> I don't
1: know. I don't know of anybody else that they came out with the name for uh, an alter ego for him. But uh, you know, thanks to I think it was Milky. <laughs> so gotcha. now I've got the alter ego Ron.
0: <laughs> Thank you, awesome Milky. All right, Ram says you know. Who's Mojo? Is Mojo a dog or something? Uh,
1: yeah, so that was uh, my Boston Terrier that I had when I was living with Ram, and uh, yeah,
0: yeah, he had a bad habit, maybe.
1: Um, uh, depends. I mean, there's there's quite a few of them. Uh, okay. So like, um, I I grew up. My dad was actually a canine handler, explosive detection canine handler. So he taught all of his dogs in like Dutch and German language. So that just kind of carried over with me. So I taught mojo commands and stuff. Uh, but when he would listen, he would, he would do good. But a lot of times he was, uh, you know, a, a stinky dog. So he'd be farting or doing something. I don't know what Ram was getting at, but it might've been gotcha. uh, <laughs> might around that.
0: Gotcha. All right. Bobby, he said, uh, ask you about Dewey beach 4th of July. What was that memory about? <laughs>
1: So this was after we graduated and we spent, you know, four years in Annapolis in Maryland area. And both me and Bobby had never been to Ocean City. So we were TAD in at the time and we're like Fourth of July, kind of a long weekend. We're like, we've never been out there. Like, well, everybody talks about it. Let's go out there. No plan, nothing. I think we, we start driving out. there. There's like a two hour drive and we're like, oh, let's stop and get some supplies or something. We're going to barbecue, do something. I think we had like a cooler, threw some ice in there, threw some beers or whatever. We bought like this little Coleman grill and we just kind of parked in a parking lot and almost treated it like a tailgate. And we just like tailgated in the back of our back of my truck, tailgate down, barbecue in the middle, just growing up burgers. There's tons of people around. They're like, oh man, you guys are doing it right. Uh, but it was just one of those spur of the moment things. Like I said, we had no plan. So nice. when we get there, we like hang out, finish like during the day and they're like, okay, we're going to go out at night, still no plan. So we ended up like sleeping in our car or my truck, uh, woke up, there's like a cop knocking on the window and was like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, oh, we just slept in our car. We didn't have anywhere to go. And they're like, this is illegal. You can't sleep in your car here. <laughs> we're like, nice. oh, I didn't, we didn't know. So yeah. So that was like our, uh, our Dewey beach experience.
0: <laughs> gotcha. All right. So Ross Pospisil, he wanted to ask, you know, your CrossFit escapades, like you got pretty deep into some CrossFit there for a while. How deep did you go into that?
1: So after football and after like sports and everything, I was kind of like still looking for that competitiveness type thing. But I also really enjoyed working out, wanted to stay fit. I took a year off of like the gym. Uh, after football was done, just like didn't do anything, you know, could have barely run the PRT. Luckily after we graduated, I could pass with like, you know, 11 minute, 12 minute mile or something like that mile and a half. So, uh, but after, I think it was one of, uh, who was it? I think it was Emma Matson, who was like one of my friends at the Academy. She was like, Oh, you should come out and do CrossFit. She was really big into it. And when I went there, it was like never done it before or anything and just kind of fell in love with like the community aspect of it everybody worked out in the morning and then was like drinking beers on like Saturday, you know, late morning, afternoon. And I was like, this is pretty cool. I can get behind this. So really just kind of dove into that and really got involved, met a lot of great people in the CrossFit community and uh, stuck with it for a while. Did like the CrossFit open competitions when it was like in its infancy and did pretty good. Didn't go to anything too crazy. Like they know they have like next tiers and everything, but didn't go up to that. But Definitely had a lot of fun, learned a lot about just lifting and lifting properly. Uh, you know, like
0: lifting they- properly <laughs> different than what we used to lift like. Like, what do you mean by that? Well,
1: yeah, because I. So we have like our strength coaches that are there that are like trying to teach us how to do stuff, but there's so many people that you know they can only do so much. And once I got to like the CrossFit community. Uh, We had a really good coach, and he would just kind of break stuff down for you, be like, hey, you know, you need to work on your ankle mobility to be able to squat deeper or something. You need, like, your body, you're leaning too far forward on your toes. They were really able to, like, dissect a lot more. Um, And then after that, too, I also was, like, talking with um, our strength coaches at Navy and learned more, just more one-on-one type stuff when I was working out at the academy sometimes. So just got more one-on-one in-depth like coaching almost, um, that maybe they didn't have enough time to do while we're at the academy with all the different things we're being pulled to, whether it's academics, military football. So I felt like I, I wish I could have known a lot more about lifting when I was going to college at the, at the academy, because I feel like it would have helped a little bit more, but it's just, you can only fit so much time into a day. And it's like, Hey, the last thing you want to do is like sit down and have like a half hour breakdown of like your squat after you've had practice lifted weights. Now you have to go to study hall. Then you have to go do your homework. Then you have to go to bed and then wake up and do it all over again. Gotcha. So yeah, it just expanded my
0: knowledge a little bit more. Cool. All right. <clears throat> Mike Matthews. He said you are wrecking ball on solid rebel. And for those that don't know <laughs> what solid rebel is, it is the the one play that Navy football does on the on the goal line and they all lined up and the defense knows it's coming because that's the goal line play right so it's like hey I'm gonna line up into this and I'm coming at you and you better be ready for it and you're one of the guys with the you know a big blast in a small package so
1: (laughs) yeah uh I guess that was one of the things like I was known as one of like the blocking a backs it was like when it was like me and Sean in the game it was like you know, 95% of the time it's going to go to Shun White. (laughs) I'm going to be the blocking A-back. But yeah, so solid rebel. And then also the lead, when we started implementing lead, where we came behind the fullback and then came down and led through the hole before the quarterback, that was a lot of fun because we actually got to like go one-on-one with like a lot of the linebackers. I remember, I think it was Ball State where they had like, he was kind of like a tall, lengthy uh, linebacker, but they are like, he's really good and all stuff. And then I remember just leading up through there one time and just flat-backed him, and I was like, I yeah. felt so good. I was just like, you know, we never really play people that are, you know, our size. So the fact that I'm hitting some guy that's like 6'5", like 250, and I'm flat-backing him, I was like, all right, put that feather in my cap. <laughs> nice. And then yeah, I think I went leverage. back. Yeah, when I went back, Danny O'Rourke said like he ended up coaching the A-backs after a while and he was like, "Yeah, we still show your lead for like a lot of like the new guys that are coming in on this is how you're supposed to block it." So, <laughs> felt kind of good be able to put my little stamp on on a play.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh last one, Nishak said um, you know, it was just a good story about how, you know, you and Bobby made a good pair at the slot pack position. So. That's Yeah, uh, it was
1: It was kind of funny because if you look back on it, a lot of the people that came before us and like our years and everything, you always had like kind of like some bigger running backs and A-backs and you had like the smaller, more shifty, faster A-backs. I mean, I look at like Shun White was fast. He was actually decent size and everything. Um, Me and Bobby were kind of like the same size, but would block better. And then you had, like, your Byron McCoys that were bigger, just led through just hard-nosed dudes. And then you had, like, your Reggie Campbells and Zerb Singleton that were just, like, these little shifty dudes that would just, you know, turn on the burners, at like, on the edge and everything. So it was kind of funny how you see, like, you'd always have, like, a set of kind of bigger guys and then a set of, like, smaller guys. And that was kind of like our, our I guess, rules for success, I guess, a little bit there.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, cool. Um, that's it. Intros, memories done. Corey Finnerty, tell us your story, brother.
1: Yeah. So, uh, he touched on a little bit, went to, uh, high school at St. Bonaventure. Um, that's where I graduated from. I actually went to a public high school, uh, Buena my freshman year and played on the JV team and got pulled up for varsity for the playoffs and whatnot. And, um, I had a lot of friends that went to St. Bonaventure. It's the same city, different, you know, it's just a Catholic private, uh, uh high school. And, it was after the first season. So it's my freshman year. I'm going to workouts at 5 30 a.m. with like the varsity team, you know, once the season's done. And the coach at the time came up to me and I don't know where he got this idea, but he was like, if I hear you're trying to go to transfer over to that, you know, private high school, I'm going to fail you. I'm going to make sure we go in and change your grades and do all this stuff. And I was just like, this is supposed to be like a respectable coach. And I'm here at five, three in the morning lifting with everybody. How dare you like threaten me. And I, I told my dad about it and he goes, he's that day. I think he was there. He's like, don't talk to my son. He goes, we're, we're out of here. There's, there's no reason for you to treat him like this. And we ended up going to St. Bonaventure because that was like the best option. And I'm so thankful that that kind of happened because the coach that I had at St. Bonaventure, John Mack was unbelievable in just the success that he had at St. Bonaventure, but also what he would do to go out of his way for all of his students and athletes. Like he single-handedly, him and coach uh, Todd Darian, like would put together tapes for our school. But then also I've heard that he, like, they would put together tapes for other high schools, like athletes, because they're like, Hey, my coach won't do anything for me or Hey, you know, they're not going the extra mile to help us out. So they would actually go the extra mile for other schools and really put together a highlight tape for kids and really network for not only our, our students, but also for them. And luckily we were kind of a bigger school. We, we graduated um, like 177 people my senior year. So not a big school, but football wise, we became big. We started like um traversing the different levels of our California, I guess, breakdown of, of high school football. And um we had Lorenzo Booker and like Whitney Lewis and Trell Lambert were all like big name people that came out of our high school, went to like Florida State, USC, uh Notre Dame. So luckily I kind of maybe caught the coattails of a little of them, graduated the year after a lot of them, but our our school was really well known, so our coach kind of was like, "Hey, Coach Ken Niematalo, Coach Ken Niematalo, Ken Niamatalo. I should be able to say that, right?"
0: He was our recruiting coach, so
1: he was my recruiter, and our coach just was like, "Hey, I got a guy for you for for Navy. I think he'd be a good fit." Um, so. Just sat down with Ken at our at our home and talked about it. Didn't know a lick about Navy football or anything like that, and just kind of didn't really know what to expect. Uh, But the Mm -hmm. fact that I could go and play Division one football was kind of like a big selling point. Um, And yeah, just went from there. Um, So took a recruiting visit, and another big uh, impact uh, my recruiting visit. I was with with Nishak. And I remember sitting on the plane, and all of a sudden this dude's like I don't know how tall Matt is six six four, six five, starts walking by, and I'm like, Holy shit, like, who's this guy? And I was like, I bet you he's going to where I'm going, and I bet you he's going on a recruiting trip. And so we get off and it's like, Oh yeah, you know, Matt, Nishak, and all that stuff. So we click, he's from Malibu. So we had like that was the first person that I met. And then we had a recruiting visit. And it was awesome. I mean, I had Bobby Mack as my freaking like host, and it, you couldn't have asked for a more solid dude to, uh, you know, be your be your host. And my parents like fell in love with him. Like he was just like this super like well put together dude. I think we went out to whatever fancy uh, dinner we went out to. He's in like a cashmere sweater,
0: just At the so well put chart together. house, maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it was a chart house. Yeah. So just like my, my parents are like, Oh my God, like this guy's awesome. Like, this is really cool. And then like, we go we're like, okay, Hey, you know, they're going to all take us out and stuff like that. And it was just like, <laughs> you just switched to fucking Bobby Mac. And it was just like, all right, bro, where do you want to go? Let's, what are we doing? And it, dude it was just like, I, I won't go into everything because probably probably shouldn't. But <laughs> it was such a blast uh, having Bobby there, and you know just how uh, charismatic and and everything that Bobby is. Uh, I felt at home almost at the Naval Academy. It was kind of like a smaller you know school compared to some of the other colleges that were out there. I was getting recruited by Navy, and then the other option was New Hampshire. Um, and <laughs> my recruiting visit out to New Hampshire was okay, but nothing like navy i think we got snowed in and they had to drive us to vermont to fly us out because uh because of the snow was down the airport and my mom would be from california she's like no i don't i don't like this at all (laughs) (laughs) so navy was uh yeah navy was a much better fit and uh yeah my i have a johnson story about on that recruiting visit and if I would have known coach Johnson before this, I would have never done this, but would they be brought you in and sat down and was like, all right, Corey, like, this is what we got and everything. We'd like to, you know, offer you, you know, a position to come here and everything. Um, and if I would have known coach Johnson before this, I would never have done this, but I was like, coach, I don't want any part of it. Nice. <laughs> and I go, I'm just kidding. Where do I sign? <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. And Coach Johnson, like. How, how did his face look when you
0: said that right before you dude. threw the, the gag joke <laughs> in, into his face?
1: Oh, uh, dude. I could just see, just like, you know, like the cartoon like where it gets like red and it starts like going up like that. I could just like see it like going there. Luckily, I didn't wait too much longer, or else he probably like, just would have rescinded it. Corey right there.
0: Finnerty. I'll remember that yeah. name. Can't wait till you get oh here. Oh, I want to make you pay.
1: Dude, he's one of the one of the meanest men I think that I've met in my life, but one of the most, you know, uh, one of the, one of the greatest coaches, you know, there's a reason why he got inducted to the college, college football hall of fame and everything. So, um, but yeah, if I would have known (laughs) a little bit about him more, I would never have done that. But, you know, me just being, you know, I guess kind of trying to be funny, uh, didn't backfire on me at least at that point. So
0: (laughs) nice. That's a good story.
1: Yeah. Um, But yeah, so after that, they said, you know, we're going to have you go to NAPS. And, you know, that was another uh, thing that I was unsure about. But at the time, my grades, I had good grades, but not good SAT scores. So just was like, yeah, you know, they kind of pitched it right to me. And it was like, you get to go there. um, You get to play football. It doesn't really count against your, you know, college eligibility. Um, And you get to play Navy football. You get to, you know, study up some more. Uh, and then make that transition to the Naval Academy, you know, that much easier. So it's like, all right, let's do it. Kind of had like a kind of a culture shock just going to freaking Newport. I wouldn't necessarily say like the military um, knew kind of what I was getting into. You know, you see like the movies like, you're going to get there, going to sit you down in a barber chair, shave your mm-hmm. head, do all that stuff. So I was kind of expecting that. Um, but just like the culture shock of being – 18 and on your own and governing ourselves out there was a really new, you know, experience. And, uh, it was, it was great meeting everybody and and being there. I think once I didn't feel at home until like maybe after the football season. And I went through a time where I almost quit. I'm sure probably everybody almost had like a time where they're like, you know, it's screw this. Um, but I kind of, I kind of saw the value in the military and I was like, well, if I leave, I'll go back to California I'll go some like school and I'll do like ROTC or do something to get into the military afterwards and have like that, you know, military job after. So, but luckily. Why?
0: Why? Yeah. yeah I'm going to, I'm going to stop you here. Cause yeah. It, Cause I have a question and I'm intrigued. Why did the military really pull you in? Like, what was that all about for you?
1: So uh, kind of like the regimen of everything uh, and then fell in love with it, kind of just being there at the academy, seeing seeing how much leadership opportunity there was there in terms of like we were all, you know, aside from the prior enlisted guys that were there, we were all like the same age. We're all governing each other. We're all getting put into these positions where it's like, Hey, you're going to be in a leadership role. You're going to have responsibility for something. It all just kind of, uh intrigued me and was just something that I was like okay I can see where this is going I really like structure and routine in my life so I think I thrive better uh in that atmosphere so I can gotcha. see how that would benefit me and just going back to back home and maybe just going to regular college or something I feel like I was still probably trying to play football or something somewhere but it just I feel like that was something that was uh, would would be a benefit not only at that point in my time and life, but also you know later on in the future in terms of getting a job, getting experience, getting something that will make me marketable for whatever I want to do later in life.
0: Gotcha, cool. Yeah. Um, so, naps. Keep going. Yeah.
1: So luckily, my dad. Um, you know, I'm calling back. I'm kind of getting homesick and stuff, trying to you know go through this process of wanting to leave and everything. And I remember specifically my dad at one point, he got, he gave me some tough love. He's just like, it's like, dude, every time you call, it's just negative. He goes like, I'm sick and tired of you calling and just being negative about everything. He goes, if you don't have anything good to say, just don't fucking call me. (laughs) And it was like, at that point, it really changed my trajectory in terms of how I thought about the academy or not the academy, but naps, how I thought about like my, uh, My perspective of things, because before that I was thinking everything was negative. I was like, I have to go do this, I have to do that, I have to, you know, do X, Y, Z. But once my dad kind of gave me that tough love, I started thinking that, thinking about stuff in a different aspect. And I was like, let me just, well, this isn't that bad, you know. I get food, I get to go here, I don't have to cook my own meals, I, I get to do this. This is positive. This is positive. Once I started thinking that positive, uh, things and ignoring like the negatives, my attitude like completely changed. Um, and then I think a lot of just being around all the guys too. I really, me and Jimmy Dryden really became really good friends. And that was something also that like really kept me there, uh, doing all the winter workouts. I remember standing, you know, outside of well, no, inside of like two, one is where I was. And just being like, all right, the gym is 20 feet that way. There's six feet of snow. I don't want to go out there. And then just another guy would come down the stairs and be like, all right, let's go. And then we'd run across and go to the workout with body by brows. And it was just that, that camaraderie and just going through all that kind of suckiness just really kind of made all of us bond. And I think kept me there, made me realize that, you know, this is, this is probably a good place for me. Nice. So after that it was like I didn't think about leaving after that ever.
0: Awesome. So yeah. Jimmy Dryden or Yeah. So he was the key. He
1: was he I... was a big he was a big key in in my in my mind, yeah.
0: Yeah
1: we just we became really good friends um i don't know what it was we just we just clicked his his humor and everything and then you know every but everybody there too you know played a role in i think keeping everybody that stayed there i mean some guys we lost like some really good guys i remember like scott oswald and you know sugar shane jones were like our playmakers at naps and then when they left it was like kind of like oh like well are we still going to still going to be good and still going to be do stuff. It was like, no, we all just kind of stepped up and, like, continued, you know, carrying that torch.
0: Yeah, but small, Jimmy, small Jimmy, world story. I uh, I saw Sugar Shane Jones at my, like, my cousin's wedding. It's no crazy. way. Back in Texas. Yeah, it was maybe, <laughs> you know, two years after we graduated or something like that. But, um, yeah.
1: Man. Small yeah. world. Yeah, it is. So... Um, but then, yeah, so after that, you know, just kind of went to the, so it was funny if I, before we go on to the Academy, I, I said, I like structure and like routine in my life. So when I was there at NAPS, you know, we do all the school and it doesn't count towards anything towards the Academy, but the first semester while in football is always when I got like good grades. So I was getting like a three O or like whatever it was at NAPS and then come, come the off season. And I can't remember at what point, but somebody like, the dean or assistant dean or somebody, I can't remember who it was, but he brought me in and like, dude, you have like a, you have like a one five. I was like, what? And they're like, Yeah, you're doing terrible. You had like a three O now you have like a one five. And it was because of off season. I just have whatever reason, if I have structure, if I have, you know, that in my life, I tend to do better. So it just goes to show you that like, I needed that structure and routine in my life. So I was like, Oh, I guess I better, uh, better correct this. So luckily I was able to correct it and then, you know, continue going on. It was kind of early on in the second semester, so it wasn't too hard to correct, but it was just one of those things that I was like, if you slip or you start, you know, light and letting up for a little bit, you can find yourself in a, in a bad situation. So, uh, graduated from NAPS and like, like, you know, we all go to the Academy. Um, that was, uh, it was nice getting back to, to see everybody again and, you know, have that sense of camaraderie and stuff. Um, but yeah graduated with an engineering degree in naval architecture um, and then got my first selection which was pilot uh, unfortunately there was a you know backup with flight school and then i was tad at the academy for a while and luckily i was paired up with the naval academy security department so with my dad being law enforcement growing up um, i felt like it was a really good fit i was i'm pretty passionate about law enforcement and whatnot so it just felt like something that was right on my avenue i think the other option was like admin or like administrations or something like that i was like i don't want to do that <laughs> so went and did the law enforcement or TID with the uh, security department there really had a great time and then navy personnel basically decided that hey you know there's a backup with flight school we're going to let you go and i was like i got to go get a real job now where if i had pilot i was going to be like you know at least eight years or something in there uh, so ended up getting out and then I was kind of, kind of upset. I still kind of wanted to fly, but it, the the good thing was that I didn't grow up wanting to fly as like my one goal in life. I was like, well, you know what? I think this is the best option for me coming out of the academy. Um, so I was like, I'll do, I'll try to go for pilot. So got it, but then didn't get it. There's backup at flight school. And then,
0: well, After at least I got you passed out, the I test.
1: To... Yeah, uh, I, I guess didn't another pass funny... the
0: test.
1: Yeah, I think another thing uh, on our recruiting—I think it was on our recruiting trip—that uh, they test you for colorblindness. Yes. I can't Are remember if that was. Blind? No, but I remember Nishak was. So yeah. Nishak comes out and goes, "Well, I guess I'm not getting fucking pilot." <laughs> oh. But yeah, that was, that was one of the things that happened on the recruiting trip, I think. Um, but yeah, so after I got out, I was like, well, you know, maybe I still want to do like the pilot thing. So I tried to do a Coast Guard direct commissioning program. And I think they took like one person from like our area, another guy that uh, got out, he was trying to go, he was at fight school, was on hold, tried to go, he was going to do an EOD package, and. Didn't know that that was an option to get out if you went to a redesignation board and they didn't retain you. They were just, I guess, letting a lot of people out. I don't know, Ram got out kind of pretty early too. Uh, so I didn't follow him. I, was, I wasn't I was too far behind him. Then tried to get in the, D, the direct commissioning program. That didn't work. So then after that, I was just kind of like threw my hands up and I was like, all right, screw this. I'm going to go try to do something with my degree since I got an engineering degree. Uh, joined a little private uh naval architecture firm. It was actually right there by the BWI airport. So went there for like a year and then it was, it was okay. Um, wasn't super fulfilling. So I was like, well, I'm out in Maryland. I was living with Ram, uh, which was great. John Howell too, for like a little bit, I was kind of bouncing around a little bit. Just didn't really f- have like that regimen in my life. I was like, well, I'm going to try to maybe move back home, go back to California, be with family. Cause family is really important to me. Um, So moved back there, got a job with the government as a civilian with NAVC, and it wasn't until I got that job that I realized the value of being a civilian in the federal government after you've done military time but didn't retire. So if you didn't retire from the military and don't get a military pension, you can buy back your military time for the federal government. So that was something that I learned while I was there. I didn't really realize how important it was, but basically I could buy back all of our time, active duty and while we're at the academy, we're active duty and at NAPS. So I was able to buy back like the seven and a half years of active duty time that we had and automatically put that towards my retirement for federal government. So I walk into a job day one and I, on paper, I already have seven years towards retirement. Nice. So that was that was something that was really huge for me and realizing that. So um but before I moved back to, to California, I I met this wonderful woman uh named Elisa and we had our we had our first date like no, what was it? Our second date, I got a phone call about the job in California. And at the time, it was, you know, our relationship was like just, it was our second date. And I was like, oh, I've been trying to move back to California for a while. So I was like, really like this girl or something about her. But, you know, I think I got to make the move out to California. And so did long distance with her while I was working for NavC uh, out in California. Uh, kept the long distance thing going. Uh, luckily, she decided to, to stick it out with me. <laughs> um, and then. After that, I was trying so hard to get back to California that now was like, this relationship's really special. Now I'm trying to get back out to Maryland. <laughs> so um, worked with NAVSEA for a while. I worked for a department called Underway Replenishment. So I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with it, but a lot of the Navy ships, when they're forward deployed out somewhere and they're using their supplies and whatnot, they're going to run out. So, instead of them having to go all the way back to, you know, supply their ships somewhere, uh, you know, anchor or not anchor but tie up, you know, along shore somewhere, our ships were supply ships that would meet them out there. And the system of transferring goods from one ship to another is what is called underway replenishment. Yep. So, we'd have… Big old cable uh, that
0: just from ship to ship, and then you just tie it on yep
1: you'd just be transferring loads via pulley system going back and forth and so that's what i was in charge of i was in charge of two supply ships and the maintenance and everything for that system so uh wherever the ships kind of had a maintenance period for like two weeks a month three months however long i would basically go out there develop kind of like my maintenance plan and go down there turn wrenches tear apart winches like, I'm in coveralls. I'm getting greasy. I'm doing you know, nice. a bunch of labor. So, but it was really cool. Uh, got to go to a lot of cool places. Got to go to like Guam, uh, Bahrain, uh, Korea, uh, Diego Garcia, like a lot of cool places. Um, so, that was fun. And so, even though I was away from my wife, I was able to go and kind of you know travel the world a little bit. Um, didn't really matter if I was in California or in Korea. I'm still doing a long distance relationship with my wife. Um, So I was going to, I did propose to my wife while I was in California and I was like, all right, I'll do, we'll do like a long engagement and then hopefully I'll have a job, be able to move back to Maryland before we get married. And that, that, that plan didn't pan out so well, uh, ended up not being able to get a job out there in the time that I wanted to. So got married and then basically had to tell my wife now, like, all right, I got to go back to California. You're going back to Maryland. (laughs) Um, so that was pretty shitty. But finally was able to get a job with the Army, working with the public uh, Department of Public Works uh, over there in Adelphi. it's kind of over there by College Park. so transferred into that position and was able to you know be with my wife and everything. Nice. so was really thankful for that. Um, what else? So just was working there with working with some great people there as well. Uh, really enjoyed my time there and then, it came to a point where it's kind of like COVID happened and a lot of stuff was like routine. Um, we were doing like construction projects, like repair stuff and everything, which was, you know, it was great, you know, challenged me and everything, but it wasn't something that I was super passionate about. Uh, it was something that I was just good at, but wasn't super fulfilling for me. I think being there with like the people was more fulfilling than the work that I was doing. Um, so Luckily, my, my wife also got a new job, and, and we were at the position where it was like, I can make a change into something that I'm passionate about at this point in our life. We don't have kids, you know. So it's it's kind of like I'm 30 well, – I think I was 34, 35 now. And it was like if I'm going to make a change in my life, career change, it's going to have to be like now. Or it's not really gonna happen. I'm, I might just fall into that, just like I'm stuck with this and gotta deal with it. I was so, listening luckily, to
0: am gonna cut in again. I uh, I yeah. was listening to a podcast the other day. The guy's name is Jocko. Um, yeah. and he says, You are get back to your default settings. Right? Yeah. Find your center line. Like
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: and then another guy <clears throat> that that I listened to is Brad Lee, is uh go where you're celebrated not tolerated go where you're celebrated right something you enjoy something that you want to do so Mm -hmm. cool keep going
1: so so yeah so that that career change for me was uh impacted a lot by what my dad did and uh he was a you know a canine explosive detection handler uh back in the state of california and grew up with you know canines three german shepherds i think he had for his career and I saw it. My dad did like kind of like the same thing. He was in his family business uh, for a while and then he was just not fulfilled by it. So then he went and jumped into police work that he was passionate about and then ultimately into canines. And I remember being pretty young, but I remember seeing almost like a difference in my dad once he started getting that job and like how much happier he was. And I've always enjoyed dogs. I've always really enjoyed canine and stuff like that. So I was like, you know, this is something that I would. I would want to get into so luckily got picked up by it so now I'm in my current position as TSA uh, explosive detection handler uh, I'll be out of the Baltimore airport and that's what I'm currently doing right now it's why I'm in this hotel for four months but only a week and a half left so we've got to go through four months of training and then once I graduate here I'll go back and uh, be at the airport and uh, can start start up this, uh, this job that I'm super passionate about. And I just like the first couple of days that I was, wasn't even here at training, but I had to go and I was like hired for like, you know, like maybe a month before I came down to training in San Antonio. So I was in Baltimore just with the guys, being with them. And I was already just like beaming. I could tell that I was just like, this is going to be so much fun. I'm getting up. I have to be at work at four in the morning, but I was like, I'm enjoying every second of it. Like it was just one of those things that you could just, when, when you're in the right place, you can almost like really feel it. And that's how, that's how it really, that's how I felt. So came down here to training and just was, what do I want to say? Um, Reassured by being down here, once we started the training, some of the feedback I was getting from my instructors, um, you know, they go around and they ask, they say like, hey, have you had any canine experience or anything like that? And I was like, I don't have any professional canine. I've never had a, you know, working dog on leash or anything like that. I just grew up around them. So then when we go to like our first feedback, they're like, are you sure you haven't worked any canines before? Because you're, you're doing like really great at it. And Because we your dad
0: has probably rubbed <laughs> off on you, brother. On a few different occasions and giving you a a couple of tips and tricks.
1: So that, but also being an athlete helps out a lot. Just being able to move and know your, so knowing your body's movement. So you're working with another, you're working with a cane on the end of a leash, right? So you kind of have to know how to manipulate in space with not only you, but also your dog. So knowing how to control your body in sports I think helps out a lot. Like a lot of the stuff that we do is uh, some of it's like walking backwards and we're just walking backwards, watching our canine, watching, you know, the, the area and checking for stuff. And that's a lot of multitasking. And you can see if like somebody hasn't done that before, it's pretty apparent and you're not comfortable doing it. Like if you challenge you to get up and go walk or walk around your house backwards and see how many things you bump into, it's like, if you're more of an athlete, it's more like, you know, where your body positioning is. You can kind of expect things. You kind of know how to keep your head on a swivel. Uh, you know, I learned that, you know, playing football, especially you're the one that gave me my, my one concussion Nice <laughs> at the Academy.
0: Awesome. <laughs> I actually I'm, feel I'm... really bad about that, but I had a concussion question written down somewhere. Uh, but I think oh, it was yeah. Ron concussion.
1: Oh uh, yeah. I'm, I've gotten i I've gotten a couple of them. But yeah, so we just had a scissors route, so it was like where the A-backs come across in front of you guys, so like a passing route. Oh, yeah. And I just remember looking back oh. at the quarterback, and you blindsided me, and I seen stars, and then I go over to Jim or Doc, and I go, like, something's not right. <laughs> they do the <laughs> well, concussion protocol, and they're like, oh, you got a concussion. I was like, God damn it, Tony.
0: <laughs> I apologize, but I'm sure you, no. uh, your uh, <laughs> out-processing worked well with the VA, so...
1: It's I'm, I'm, there's no complaints right now. So I just, uh, it's yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you're, you're just like me. Uh, it's, it's hard to remember some things and they almost described it to me as like a brain fog to where like, I know I've been playing football since I was eight years old. So I'm sure I've had concussions along the way that weren't like severe, but like all those built on top of each other. But I have like, they describe it as like brain fog. Like I'm recalling all of my memories, but it just takes some, effort to get them out like it takes gotcha. like somebody saying a certain word and then i'm like oh yeah i remember that
0: now i remember yeah.
1: because you said this i remember it so, but
0: same page
1: 100 yeah. worth it yeah so but um yeah
0: so <laughs> um you know no, i don't remember where handling, I now handling dogs um you yeah know, new job it's going good um what's your favorite part about what you do today
1: um, so it's, it's just the favorite thing I would have to say is working with somebody else in terms of a canine. Um, but your relationship with that canine, you know, just being with, uh, I, um, I, we get assigned dogs, like after we passed one of our first written tests. So I've luckily had the same dog since I got assigned. So, uh, his name so is, is Baz. H-
0: yeah. How does that work? So when you go through the school and you've, you know, you probably you'll work with a couple different dogs and all of a sudden a dog sticks. And then after that, once you graduate, does that dog like get in a crate and fly back to where you're doing work? And now he's in your house. Like, how does that work?
1: Yeah. So when we get there, there's instructors that we have. There's either like between like four to six instructors that each each uh, class has. So we had a class of uh Uh, eight people, and you have a certain number of dogs on your trailer. So these trainers kind of get the dogs about 30 days a month before we get there. They train them up a little bit. And then when we get there, we get to handle each dog leading up to when, before they assign them to us. So they kind of look at how we interact with the dogs and kind of try to find the best fit because they want everybody to graduate. They want everybody to be the best team that they can be. So they kind of go through and watch us handle each dog. Like one day we'll be handling, you know, this dog for the whole day. And then the next day we'll handle a completely different dog. So it just all kind of plays into them evaluating us. And then uh, they assign us the dog and we go through training and then hopefully you graduate with that dog. Hopefully everything goes good. Um, Some dogs and trainers don't work out together well. So they switch up dogs and move them around Uh, to find that best fit. So we're only with them Monday through Friday. And then after each day, we put them in a kennel there on uh, Lackland Air Force Base is where our training is. So they go back into a kennel uh, after our training day. And then on the weekends, they're there. They have like kennel staff that takes care of them and whatnot. But once we graduate here, the dog flies with me on the aircraft. And then they're with me 24-7. Nice. So they'll go back uh, to my house, we'll get a crate, we'll set them up in our, you know, our house, be part so of the family. So what kind of dog you got? So uh, the TSA has really gone towards uh, GSP, so German Shorthaired Pointers. So right. I didn't know anything really about GSPs before coming here, but after doing a little bit of research, it was like, wow, these dogs kind of like took like the best of like different hunting dogs and put them all together. And that's what the GSP is super high drive dogs uh really really fun to work and Sounds then TSA, exhausting. <laughs> it can be um and then tsa you know we have to work with the public a lot so they kind of try to stay away from pointing your dogs so they're trying to stay away from like you know the german shepherds or malinois or something that might look more intimidating cuz yeah. you got to deal with the I public i got a german
0: shepherd i think you got to see her i know her. i remember seeing her yeah yeah, yeah. she's
1: she awesome man yeah yeah that was a lot of fun super
0: handful though yeah, Awesome, super smart, and uh, sometimes I feel like I'm limiting her growth. Yeah, so
1: dogs are so funny, man, and I've learned, you know, I grew up with dogs, so I would learned, you know, some commands and certain things with from my dad, but never learned kind of like the importance of, you know, the different training, your timing on things, there's just so much stuff that goes into it, you have to be so consistent, and yeah. it's super... Yeah. So it can be super complicated, but it's also so simple. If you break it down to its real core, it's you reward the behaviors that you want and you punish the behaviors that you don't want. That's that's all that it is. And but your timing for doing that is critical. Yep. So that's where it's funny,
0: because like this whole podcast, what I'm trying to talk about here is like consistency. What you just said with your, you know, with the dog situation, like, it's so simple. Just yeah, be consistent, be concise, be clear, make it easy, keep it simple. So yeah, yeah
1: it's man. it's one of those things that like, if you look at it, it it looks it looks simple, but then when you get into like the nuts and bolts of it, there's so much stuff that plays into it that that's where it can get complicated. But it's, well, uh,
0: here's here's another jockoism. Are you ready? Yeah, Because I'm all about Jocko right now. Uh, <laughs> Jocko's EEM, Explanation Effort Meter. So if it's not easy, if it's not clear to explain, then you probably got a bad plan. You probably got a bad, um, you know, you don't understand it well enough. It should be simple to explain, right? Keep yeah. it concise, keep it clear, be consistent. And it all comes together. No, right? definitely.
1: That's where like the the motto "kiss" comes into play, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Yep. <laughs> no doubt. No. So, yeah, but I'm I'm enjoying every day going to training, doing stuff. I'm having fun. Like you met, like there'll be days that you know maybe you're not on your best. Maybe the dog's not on their best but it's just going through those highs and those lows and having that bond that you build with the dog. So like you're getting at earlier, what what makes this job like so rewarding is that relationship and you, you get so in tune with the dog where there'll be times like we're trained on explosives. We're, we're trying to find explosives, but obviously there's, you know, dogs are opportunists. There'll be like some distraction out there. Maybe there'll be food. Maybe there'll be something else that they do a certain behavior that's different from when, they're actually perceived to find like odor and uh explosive odor and stuff so you get so in tune with them you'd be like i know that he's just sniffing for food right now i know he's not doing what he normally does when he's finding explosives so you find just like the different mannerisms just how to read your dog and it's nice. it's really crazy that only being working with him for you know just over you know just under three four months of how, how much of a bond and how much you can read their dog, read your dog. And, uh, it's just, it's, that's one of the rewarding things that I found.
0: Nice. Awesome. Um, so transitions, I think that's the end of your, uh, you know, yeah, your story. Uh, I don't want to cut you off unless you got something else to say, but
1: no, I mean, I guess, I guess process. kind of breezed over. No, I kind of breezed over the, uh, the Academy time and stuff, but you know, Coach Munkin was our, was, was my recruiting coach and whatnot. Um, You know, didn't, didn't really uh, mesh well with him. But uh, once, once we had like a little bit of our coaching change there, um, what going into our junior year was finally able to get like a clean slate. And finally, that's when I actually started playing because before it was just, you know, scout team, not dressing for home games or anything like that. Just trying to put in the work where I can and I, I kind of look back at my time there and grateful for how it all played out. Grateful that I got to start, you know, junior and senior year. Um, but also looking back at kind of like what, what it required. Like I was doing the engineering when I think Ross could probably tell you the same thing. All the coaches told you not to do engineering, Austin Milky, you know, there's like, don't do engineering. You're going to hate your life. And I'm sure that probably set me back a little bit because I remember sophomore you're staying up to like three o'clock in the morning trying to just do stupid fucking like one problem for engineering and just probably not even getting the right answer and still going to bed at three o'clock in the morning. And yeah. then so I'm glad I didn't it do this.
0: So you've just, just validated really took... <laughs> my uh my my doubt there. So Yeah.
1: It just it really took a toll on you, uh, in terms of the amount of time that it took. Um to, to finish a lot of these, a lot of these problems and so they're just so long. It's just like nothing ever came natural to me in terms of like study. So I always had to like work hard for it. I wasn't like super smart. Like I hear like I know some of the guys. It was kind of just like you know they weren't challenged until they got to the academy or even at the academy they weren't that challenged. I always had to work my ass off to get the grades that I got. That's why I think my SAT scores were bad, but my grades were good. It was just because of that. It was nothing came natural. I always had to work hard at it. Um, but yeah, so didn't mesh well with Coach Munkin and then once we once Coach Dupay got in there, it was kinda like a, a clean slate. Why
0: didn't why didn't you mesh well with Munkin? I mean the I don't guy's know. like he took over Army and Army's doing so, good. So he's done great the stuff. be fair.
1: So I don't know if I don't know what it was. Um and maybe, you know, if you could have, you know, taken a step back and looked at it from a different, different perspective, I might have a different perspective. But at the time it was like, Man, you know, it's like I'm I'm being told by everybody that I'm doing good, like all the other A backs and stuff, but for some reason, like I'm not doing as well as I would like to in terms of like what he's seen. So oh, So what was the thing. feedback there? I just I don't know. He was just kind of one of those guys that I just didn't really mesh well. I didn't even really go get feedback from him, really. Um just one of those things. Uh just didn't really feel like Dude, we meshed well, so I didn't feel you like you got to get a... feedback.
0: You got to ask for it. You got to push for it.
1: Yeah, and I think if I would have gone back and I you know could do it over again, I probably would have asked for it or something like that All for right. sure. You just knocked um, out
0: one of my questions was uh, yeah. go back and do something different. You just answered it.
1: Yeah, um, but no. So actually, I played strong safety and outside linebacker in high school, and that's what I really I was passionate about. So when I went to Navy and I went to Naps, and they're like, "Oh, you're going to be running back," it was kind of like a shock to me a little bit but so i felt like i was kind of playing a position that they wanted me to play and maybe i wasn't doing that well at it so kind of going back to doing something you're passionate about i went to coach speed when he was still there and i was like hey dude coach, like, is
0: the man not,
1: i gotta get joe speed on here dude, one day so dude so he was one, our coach at naps so right Oh, yeah. Super influential in not only like your football career, but or our football career, but life in general. Yeah. So many the takeaways from him for Dude, sure. just to hear he gave like so when he went to the academy, he basically came with us, I think. Right. He yeah. came as a coach yep. from NAPS and then went over with us. His locker room speeches for the JV games would fucking pump you up so much. And I'm just like we're playing a JV game. Like, it's not even like going to count for anything. And this dude's getting me hyped to run through a brick wall. Like right now, like he just had that, he had that, you know, the charismatic, uh, just that, that extra little, you know, quality to him that, you know, you'd do anything for. Um, so I felt really comfortable with him being our naps coach and he was with the secondary at the time. And when I was a senior in high school, I was a strong safety. So I went up to him, I was like, you know, Coach, for whatever reason, this is sophomore year. I was like, I'm not doing well at ABAC enough to travel or where I think I should be at. So, I would almost rather be a DB not playing than be an ABAC not playing. So, luckily, Coach Speed, he just he he told me right then and there. He goes, you know what? Just stick it out. You know, we don't know what's gonna happen, but it was it was during the season. So he's like, just just wait it out, we'll see what happens, you know, we'll do some spring ball and we'll, we'll look at things and maybe we'll reevaluate it later or something. And thankfully, you know, after that season, um, I believe that's when Coach Johnson left and we, you know, Coach Ken yep. became the head coach and sometimes, got some coaching changes.
0: Sometimes that mentor, that that uh, you know, higher echelon leader has some inside information that they can't yeah. release yet and they're like hey keep your head down keep pushing because in 6 months in 1 year in 2 months or whatever that is things are going to change a little bit i can't tell you what it is i'm not going to tell you that but maybe that's what he was doing
1: no most definitely and that's like what i was getting at with having like that perspective maybe if i could take a step back i might not have been so like you know in, so i guess invested in my emotions at the time and maybe sure. that's where coach speed was like being kind of like an outside resource would be like, you know what, just stick it out. Maybe he had some inside their information he was like, no, I think you're going to be fine. Like, just keep doing what you're doing. Type of thing. Nice. So grateful, grateful to coach speed for just kind of giving me that, that little uh, feedback, even though it wasn't really probably what I wanted to hear at the time. Cause I was dead set on, you know, it's like, I want to go play defense if I'm not going to play where, you know, it, it paid off in the end was we had Dupay come in coach Munkin left. Um, with coach Johnson, I think. So coach Dupay came in and kind of wiped the slate clean and got, got a little lucky. Some of the guys, I shouldn't say lucky, but got my opportunity because some of the guys ahead of me got injured a little bit. So I was able to get more reps and then uh, was really able to just work on what I needed to work on more for football wise. And I kind of had a better balance between football and school before like I said, in sophomore year, I think I was going to bed you know, on average like 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning. So when I got to football, it's like you're drained. What do I have left to give at football? I have like three hours of sleep, four hours of sleep. Can't function on that. Yeah. So I made kind of a conscious effort to only do schoolwork until X amount of time at night. And then like junior year, I was like at 11 o'clock, I'm going to bed. Like nice. what I have done is what I have. I done. wish I
0: had learned that lesson earlier in my life. Cause I'm just now like figuring that one out. <laughs> <laughs> it,
1: it really helped it me. Yeah. It helped me like kind of just trim some of that fat and just be like, Hey, you know what? You have to really buckle down and get this shit done before 11 o'clock because you need rest. You need to go to bed. Sleep is so important. And I didn't realize the value of sleep until probably like, you know, two or three years ago. But It kind of that that change in junior year really I think helped me be successful and able to you know travel and start and everything you know for for ABAC after that and then after that it was like same thing once that decision was made it was there was no turning back and I really enjoyed it uh, after that.
0: Nice transition lesson. So you transitioned a couple different times. You know most people they. Do the military thing, they transition into the civilian world and they have a transition story. For you, you transition from the military into um, government civilian you know, world and then you became a real civilian. So a couple of different transitions there. Um, what were your lessons there that, that you might be able to share and, and help someone else out with?
1: yeah so the transition from the military is pretty quick in terms of like once you make that decision i don't know how everybody else's experience was but it was like you go to like this taps class transition assistance program something or other and it's like three days and they teach you how to write a resume teach you how to wear a suit buy a suit or something like that and prepare for an interview and it was a really big shock for me since i was you know only did like two and a half years after the, after graduating. So I didn't have really a lot of experience. So I had my degree with engineering and I was just always told to be an engineer because I was good at math. Um, So that's why I did it. And it was like, I got to play with a lot of models and stuff like that being a native architecture uh, at the Academy, which was fun. Um, But I didn't really have any experience to transition into the real world. So it was really hard. And I know that for a while I almost felt kind of lost in terms of not really having a solid next step in terms of what my next job was. I actually did like, a, I worked at like a bar for like a restaurant that's like a bar back for a little bit just to get some money because I was like, I didn't need to figure out what I'm going to do um, in the meantime. So you go to this transition, they kind of prepare you, write a resume, all this stuff. But a lot of times it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And that was really prevalent in my experience because nice. I got a job at a naval architecture firm, not because of what I knew, but because of one of my friend's dad was out at the restaurant that I worked at with one of his friends that worked for a naval architecture firm. He's he was like, you're a naval architect? like probably thinking, like, this guy's working behind a bar. He's not a naval architect. Like, on paper, on paper I am. Um, so they just gave me a shot and interviewed with them, and that's where I started. That's where I was broke into, like, the civilian world. Um, So transitioned into that. And I still I, – it was a little more steady in terms of, like, my life because I had a job, so I could pay bills and stuff. But I was also still kind of on the rocks because – Um, i lived at a couple different places. I kind of bounced around. I bounced with Ram. I was so thankful for Ram and Jenny and Alex and Brian. I lived with them in their basement for a while. Um, I lived with John Howell and John Gazelle and Matt Shibata for a little bit. Nice. So, yeah, so I was kind of all over the place. Well, um, so I was doing naval architecture because that's what my degree was in and, At the same time, like I talked about some other stuff, I wasn't super passionate about it. Um, So then
0: the transition... So I'm going to cut you off. So you go back to like all those hard nights worth of studying up to 3 a.m. in naval architecture and then naval architecture. And then you go to an actual naval architecture job and...
1: So The reason why I don't think that I was super passionate about it was because I was doing a lot of 3D rendering, a lot of 3D modeling, so it was really just kind of like AutoCAD stuff and like some other 3D programs, so I wasn't really doing a lot of stuff. Um, and then I got a bad taste in my mouth a little bit, I guess just because... The way that the private industry works is like if they're going to bid on a project, sometimes you pair up with a larger company to then go and win a contract. Yep. So I was with this small all about, architecture.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm in a big um, company. It's all about best, you know, idea, lowest cost. Doesn't matter like if, you know, quality at that point is like out the window. Um, Yeah. Trust me. I'm going through this huge thing that is all low cost. Quality is out the window. So I understand what you're talking about. So keep going.
1: Yeah. So, so with this, so we were paired up with a larger company called Vigor Marine and they were bidding on the new uh, contract for the new coast guard cutter that was coming out. So in preparation for that, I was kind of hired on a little bit to augment some of that. So it's like when we got that, we got that a uh, contract with vigor that we'd have a lot of work and we'd actually have to hire a lot more people in order to complete all the work that we need to do. So unfortunately vigor didn't get the contract. So likewise we didn't get the contract. So then I was kind of left with like a big empty space of like, I don't have a lot of work. So they actually tried to like farm me out to another company to like have me work for them. I was just like, it was. They were asking me about like rivets and like some other stuff. And I was just like, bro, what are we doing? Like, I don't. this So isn't the gover- like I was government
0: to do. tried to farm you out to make you a. So this wasn't
1: the government. This wasn't the government okay. at the time. This was all private. Gotcha. So So, um, understood. So this was just a private company. And they were trying to still keep me on, but then also, you know, try to augment some of their costs for having me on their salary to maybe get some more work from this other company. So, um, gotcha. it just. And after that, it was like kind of getting to the point where I was kind of getting a little homesick again. I was just like, you know, I'm every time I go on a vacation, I go home to see my family because family's so important to me. But I wish I could be with family and then go take a vacation somewhere. So that was like my whole process. I want to get back to California. So my stepfather worked for UNREP as a contractor for the government at UNREP in Port Wyanimi, basically 10 minutes down the road from where I grew up. So he was instrumental on getting me the position there. He was really good friends with everybody that worked there. And and he's uh, uh, he's an electrician, super, super smart guy. Uh, So I kind of rode his coattails a little bit in terms of getting the job because he's obviously a great employee. And then he came to them and said, hey, you know, my stepson is looking for a job. And they said, oh, we're looking to hire soon, so we're going to put out an announcement. When we put out the announcement, we'll let you know, and you can tell them to apply for it. So the announcement came out on USA Jobs, and then this was kind of the transition back into the government because I was now going to be a federal employee again. Um, So interviewed for the job, ended up getting it, um, and then moved back to California and became an engineer uh, working on these supply ships. So I was really a lot of it owed to to my to my stepdad in terms of getting the bug in my ear. Um, if you ask him, he's gonna he's gonna tell you he didn't do anything. But you know, I, I really appreciate everything that he did for me. Um, so then, once I was there, had a great time, um, and you trans I transitioned into the federal government, and that's where I, I mentioned before I learned a lot about the benefits that you're kind of leaving on the table if if. The federal government is something that you want to do. So, being prior military and having that military active duty, you can then go into the federal government and, like I say, it said buy your time back and have that go towards retirement. So, so tell me this:
0: yeah. how does your retirement look right now? Do you have twenty years based off of that? Like, because you so did some- I have. You did all that NAPS time. You did the academy time. You did the TAD time. Get out. You do uh, government civilian time. Mm-hmm. Have you hit twenty years of that yet? So, that not
1: yet. so not yet. So so well, yeah. So I'm 35. I basically, did seven and a half years of active duty. So I was able to buy back that time. So I got into NAVSEA in 2014. So starting 2014, I walked in basically saying I have seven and a half years of federal retirement time. Whereas if you just went to a normal college and got hired, you have zero time towards retirement. It's that's day one for you. So I didn't learn a lot about this until later I had to buy back our military time and the buyback is based off of your salary that you're earning while you're active duty. So with us going to NAPS, going to the academy, we're getting somewhat of a salary, but it's really, you know, really low. So that played to my benefit in terms of I had to buy back years that were very cheap compared to somebody who's like a commander or I wouldn't say that because they'll probably retire. But let's say somebody that was like a lieutenant making, you know, let's say eighty, hundred thousand $100,000 to buy back that year of federal service is going to cost you a lot more. To where when we went to the academy I don't know what we were making, something low uh, it cost a lot like less
0: 700 bucks a month yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly
1: like so it costed me compared to somebody that's getting paid a lot it cost me very minimal amount of money so I bought back my 7.5 years for under 5 grand, so if you were to walk in somewhere and say like, hey give me 5 grand and I'll give you 7 years for gotcha. retirement, I'm right. sure a so- ton of people would take that fucking bet right there <laughs>
0: So you've answered the question on the seven and a half years. How does the rest of those years go
1: right now? So then it, so then it just starts. So since I was in at 2014, basically look at it, start 2014 with seven and a half years. And now since then I've been consistently employed by the federal government to today.
0: To today. Awesome.
1: Yeah. So I have just over 15 years of federal government time that goes towards my retirement. Um, I can retire when I have 20 years, but if I have reached my minimum retirement age. So that's going to be 62, I don't know, 65, I don't know, one of those. So I don't, I can't retire for a while, even if I have the 20 years. So uh, it'll be a while.
0: The good news story is you got an awesome, you know, um, back, you know, backtracked, Consume time of investment that you're able to take advantage of. And now you're doing something you love today for the federal government. Um, So, you know, a lot of people, you know, and, and with people that I've talked to, you know, from so many different backgrounds, they're looking for a situation like that where they can find that retirement income, you know, that steady thing that doesn't really exist. And, and I'm gonna tell you right now, in the civilian workforce, like right now, like I could make a big mistake tomorrow and I could be done. And I could yeah. forfeit a whole bunch of my retirement, like ideation, <laughs> yeah. right? So if you stay in that government, um, you know, structure, you're able to make it work, you found a pretty good path right? You love what you do and you're able to backtrack it all the way to naps right after you got out of high school to claim the time you had to pay back some stuff, but it was like less than five grand. Yeah. Nice work.
1: I think the only other, uh, good route is probably if you retire your 20 years and then you get a retirement from that and then you go into the federal government, you can do another 15, 10, 15, 20 years and get another retirement on top of that. So That's what I liked about the federal government once I started learning more about it is if I were to just go into a private company, all the military experience doesn't count towards retirement. None of that counts towards it. But if I go into the federal government, it counts. So it kind of – I saw the benefit of that, so that's why I'm kind of staying in the the federal government. Now it's not going to be the highest-paying jobs. Uh, and whatnot. That's kind of like the sacrifice you, you take. You're not going to have a super high paying job, but you get a lot of benefits. Like You're going to get a retirement from them. You're going to get a pension. Um, so that was just another kind of uh, tool that you kind of have to look at in terms of your situation on, do you want to have more pay and then you invest it or you do so, however you want to plan for retirement that way? I mean, there are plenty of people out there that they can do a hell of a lot better with the money they have now plan for retirement where ours is kind of taking care of us, care for us. Um, and we'll just get that pension afterward, kind of like law enforcement and, you know, firefighters, first responders type stuff. They have something like a similar retirement set up. So, um, but that transition uh, wasn't, wasn't easy. Uh, the whole USA jobs is it can be kind of difficult to, to navigate and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but what I, what I found in all those transitions and I I wrote this down is being prepared gives you a chance and staying flexible allows you to overcome what's put in front of you. Gotcha. So I could be prepared for the interview as well as I can be, but then to be flexible with whatever curveball they want to throw at you, whatever other thing that might come up. And that could apply towards a lot of things other than just like an interview. It can just be like you're, your day-to-day job and and everything. So it's just, I find it a lot with my canine stuff, just being prepared, having all of my equipment, having everything that I need to do, planning out certain things, uh, just gives me a chance. And then once you actually start doing the task or start being uh, faced with something to overcome, you got to stay flexible to be able to work around that. It's kind of like what Mike Tyson said. It was like, you everybody's i don't know what he said he said like everybody's has a plan until you get punched in the face or something yeah, of those. No, like
0: that's a big manufacturing thing it's like hey always have a plan going into it but you're always gonna get punched in the face but if you have the plan you're you know 50 percent there because when you get yeah. punched in the face you can react right mm-hmm. yep um, and that's kind of ties into a uh a, a goggins uh Loving thing some that got going on oh yeah me too i'm big on goggins <laughs> right now um the shit comes from the shit you haven't handled yet so um keep handling that that stuff uh and getting ahead of it planning it ahead of times because it's gonna come right mm-hmm. and if you've thought about it already you might be able to handle it so awesome uh, yeah, that's your transition story. Um, transition from military to, you know, Civ div to where you're at today. It's still a federal job, so that's cool. And you're reaping the benefits of that. What's your, uh, you have a good mentor story?
1: Um, so I've had quite a few mentors throughout my life. I think the most important one has been kind of like, people in my, in my family, like my dad and my mom, uh, you know, I can pull a lot of stuff from my dad's experience. You know, I can chat with him about different things I'm going through like right now in terms of my training, uh, before that, though, is, you know, like my decisions for things, staying at naps, you know, it took him giving me some tough love and that like mentorship just being like, you know what, you know, handle your shit, you know, (laughs) um, really, really pushing me forward. Um, my mom has been a rock in my life. She's like a saint, like anybody that meets her, um, you know, she's, I can't say enough good things about my mom, but she's definitely just been there by my side with anything. Just always encouraging me, always, you know, uh, encouraging me to challenge myself, but also just make the right decisions. And if you don't make the right decision that everything's still going to be okay. Um, it's just how you handle it after that. Um, but throughout my, my job career, I think the first one that comes to mind is, is, uh, Bryce McDonald, um, after captain Hamilton, uh, cause I was TAD and I was around the football team a lot when I was working for the security department. And then once I was getting out of the military, I, I asked to actually go over and just help TAD with the academy uh, or with football team a little bit and I was able to kind of like split duties of, uh, over there so it was kind of nice and I got to spend a lot of time with bryce and gosh like the amount of stuff that that guy would he was like living in a, 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 an example that you'd want to live by because he had you know complications you got like blown up in the military and stuff like that but you would yeah. You nothing would ever set that guy back. I remember we we're walking. He had down a the big.
0: He, so Bryce was in a Humvee. Hit an IED, exploded. Yeah, and he had a leg injury. I'm pretty sure. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I think it was like almost to the point where I don't know if they asked him if he wanted to keep it or not, or there was something about like he basically could have lost his leg, but he somehow was able to keep it. So, you know what I
0: remember about Bryce? Like the first yeah. time he came on as our our uh, officer rep for the team, he came back, and we're all kind of like, "This guy kind of twitches," you know, like when he's thinking, he's kind of like, Arr! "Well, he was <laughs> on the treadmill with a weighted vest with that leg that got blown up in that yeah. Humvee because he was, yeah,
1: dude, nothing, nothing Crazy would stop story. that guy, like." Any awesome over any um, yeah, any obstacle that he had, he would always like overcome it. So we're walking down the stairs in Bolino, not at Bolino, but in the football uh, offices, and I remember like just hearing a noise and then he him being like, Oh my knee's locking up and he, he like fell down the stairs, like you know, like six stairs or like whatever. Just freaking rolls and get back, get, gets back up and just hops off and he's like, Alright. And it was like, What? It's like that's stuff that he has to live with every day, like his knee locking up, just going up and down the stairs or like whatever. But then he'd go in the he'd go in the weight room, and he'd be on the rower, can't bend his his one knee like he can like the other one. So he literally would put like uh, one of like those little dome cones upside down, put his heel in it, and would be on the rower, with one foot just like sliding back and forth on the ground as he was doing the rowing machine, like he's still getting after it. Yep. And one of, one of his sayings that always stuck with me is like uh, "easy day." It's like easy day. No, no matter what would be thrown at him, anything. Just like you know, he was very prepared as well, but he was always flexible with stuff. So if something came and fucked up something, he'd be like, "You know what? Easy day." And you know what? Compared to what he's gone through, every day is an Everything easy day. Compared to what he that had to we're go going through.
0: through right now, it's an easy day for sure.
1: Yeah, so that always stuck with me is just like the, his his mentality, and he would just be like you know what easy day. Like it. So that yeah that was that was pretty awesome. I don't know how how much he knows of uh, impact he he had on me, but a lot of people. Um, I think he's over at UCLA now. Um, yeah, I, I hope to there, get him so. on
0: here soon. I've been bugging him a little bit, but he he went quiet a, about a month ago. So yeah, you know, bug him a little so. bit more. We'll get him on here one day. <laughs> Um how about your favorite coach quote or memory from back in the day?
1: Oh, uh, I mean I think it's already been mentioned but I mean now that we can laugh about it it was the the Ricky Bobby incident. I mean that's got to oh. be one of the one of the most infamous, you know, things that we lived through at least. Um but yeah just coach Johnson, you know, quoting Freaking Tawdiga Nights out there as he's running us in the cold and the dark. And I remember Dave Brown. I think it was Dave Brown. We're doing like the log rolls on this.
0: Yeah, he <laughs> on was a hacker. Line, just he was hacking it. Now, yeah, he's for just sure.
1: he's just sitting there. I just remember him going every time we spun. I was like, oh my god. Like you can just laugh about it now, but oh man, that was it was terrible. Nice. But definitely embrace the suck. And that's that's probably my. <laughs> The most prominent memory that I recall.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I you know a lot of guys reference that they all remember this one incident called Ricky Bobby. You know, if you ain't first, you're last. And and I think I
1: think uh, the way that I remember it was I think a little bit different from Bobby. Is I think that Chad Peterson was the one that owned up to it, right? But I think he told. The way I remember it is he told Coach Johnson as we're going out yes, like to the locker did. like He's to like, the field. And he goes, he goes, uh, Coach, you know, I wanna, you know, it was me, I'm the one that wrote it. And Coach Johnson, I remember that he goes, Chad, I like your honesty. Now let's wear it out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's easy to come on us after the punishment is implemented, right?
1: Oh gosh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and but yeah. I think there's a a lot of uh, good lessons in that for sure. I think we all remember that. I think we all take that to where we're at today. And um, you either apply it or not. And situational leadership um, probably most important now than ever with punishments, right? So like when things don't work out, first reflect on yourself are you making the right decisions? Two, secondly, um, after you're making the right decisions, are you focusing the right areas? Three, after you're focused on the right areas, are you looking at the right perspective on those areas? Four, make a decision, go. So I think yeah. in, in that instance, Paula Johnson, made a decision and go real quick. (laughs) (laughs) And then Chad probably um, didn't think about the perspective a little bit. He probably just made a decision and go until the consequences became more (laughs) extensive until the decision had to be made. And when that decision had to be made, it was probably too late. But thankful that Chad spoke up. At that yeah. point. Just to give Johnson some clarity. But at that time it was just a little bit too like, Timing is everything. Right? <laughs> Timing so is
1: everything. It's funny because I can tie this right back into the the canine training that I'm going through. Yes. Timing is everything. Do it. Punish the bad behaviors. Reward the good behaviors. <laughs> we had a we had a bad behavior of us writing down a fucking comical you know, thing for our uh, our MVP for JV and Coach Johnson punished our asses for for doing it. Nice. So, yeah, but oh man,
0: cool. <laughs> All right, uh, just a couple more, and we'll get to to your price of admission. But um, what's your biggest struggle today? What's your biggest obstacle? What are you working through?
1: Um, well, right now I'm in that unique situation where. Uh, I'm, I'm in a new job and uh, I haven't graduated yet. So it's, you know, we're on path to graduation, but it's not a guarantee. This next week, we actually have our our final test. So my biggest challenge right now is just really focusing on graduating. And then once I graduate, it's not like the task is over. We have training that we have to do every day day, month, year, we get a yearly evaluation. So just learning the new job, implementing the different training aspects that we learn, and uh, really just getting into that particular mindset of, you know, once we get out into the field, we're looking for explosives that could potentially, you know, harm the civilian population in transportation. So right now we are going to be at the airport but we can get called to anywhere else, you know, whether it be a bus station, you know, a college or something like that if we're the closest ones and we're going to get that phone call. So the biggest challenge is going to be me making sure that I'm prepared for when that phone calls or when my dog indicates that hey, he's onto something and and being able to to be that, you know, layer of protection for for the population.
0: Nice. No, I gotcha. You're always thinking about that. You're like thinking about that bang, right? Yeah. You want to avoid the bang. Um, yep. Just don't let, you know, sometimes and some things are so easy. Uh, we miss them and we're looking for something really hard. Just keep looking for the easy things. Keep doing the basics. Right. Yeah. Um, And, We are here today to have some fun. It sounds like that's what you're doing, but just—I'm having a blast
1: doing that too.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Just keep ingraining that fun into what you're doing, Uh, keeping us left a bang in the airports. Um, And you know, it's easier said than done, but trying not to overcomplicate things um, makes things so much more fun. Yeah. In the day to day, so. Awesome. Yeah. Other than that,
1: I mean, me and my wife, we did the long distance thing for a while. So, really having some time to actually be with her now, it's funny because throughout our, our relationship, we did long distance. Then we bridged the gap and we were living together. She actually did training for her job for, you know, four plus months for her first job that she was doing. So then we became, you know, living in the same state. And then from there, she took another job, which is her current job. She's she's a freaking, she's a badass, man. She's a criminal investigator for Department of Homeland Security, um, HSI, Homeland Security Investigations. And she's, she's a rock star. She, I can't say enough good things about her. So she actually then went to another training for... I think it was like six months. It was like right in the middle, right when COVID happened. She was halfway through her training and then they sent her home for a little bit and then they took her back and then they were like on lockdown. So then after she got that job and finished all her training, then we were back together and now I got this job. I had to leave for four months. So one of the other challenges is just the amount of time that we've had together. It's been you know, a good amount of time, but I cherish every moment that we have together because we've been pulled apart numerous times throughout this whole thing. So just being able to spend time with her, I wouldn't say it's a challenge, but if you look back at what has happened to our relationship, that's been a challenge. So I'm just so thankful for her and supporting me and vice versa, me supporting her and all of her stuff. She's, she's doing her dream job right now. And luckily it's led to now I can do my dream job. So it's, uh, it's something that, that I'm really, really fortunate. Uh, and just thankful for her too, as well. I think I, I thanked, I thanked her for Thanksgiving, you know, we go around uh, the table and say what we're thankful for. I was like, you know, I'm thankful my wife has the job she has so that I can now turn and burn on the job that I'm really passionate about. (laughs) So it's, uh, it's been, it's been a pretty wild ride and I've, I've loved it. So
0: (laughs) awesome. Really cool. And, uh, I know your, your wife is, uh, crushing it with what she does, even though we can't talk about those things. Uh, yeah, she's she's doing great.
1: She's, she's, (laughs) she's working herself to death, but she's, she's doing, she's doing great things. She's, she's protecting more people too. So more people than I can probably do.
0: (laughs) Does she, that does she enjoy that?
1: Yeah, she, she does.
0: Nice. And that's I know good.
1: It, and she's so passionate about it too. She's just, she's, she takes on so much. She's one of those that it's just like, if there's something there that can be done, she's going to try to fit it in because she's always trying to do more. She's always trying to, uh, I guess she's, she's always trying to be, do great things with what she's given. And she does, she crushes it. Nice. Everything that's put in front of her. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. She's she's a rock star, man. Anything awesome. anything that they put in front of her, she crushes.
0: <laughs> well, that, that's what stands us up. That's what makes us, you know, you know, able to do what we need to do is we have that rock star, you know, Mama San right behind us. So sounds like you've oh, got yeah. that and that is awesome. man. Um, last question, what's your price of admission?
1: Yeah, so I thought about it a while. And I've heard a couple guys, you know, give their two cents on it. And, um, what I really took from, I took a little bit from each person, but when Arnold was talking about his a little bit, just hearing his story about like what he went through, what he was able to give for, for the football team and what he was able to do, my kind of description of it kind of was built off of kind of hearing a little bit of what he had to say. So, my price of admission is giving anything and everything that you as a person have to give at that particular time. So for Arnold, it was, you know, he saw that, you know, his best impact could be with helping people with grades. Um, Somebody could get an injury. So now they have to devote all of their time and effort to getting better and getting back on the field. Andrew McGinn, he had to stop playing football because of all of his concussions. But then once, once he stopped, he was right there helping out with the team. We all go through kind of the same thing in terms of like showing up, going to practice, doing all the things that are required. But then it's that extra little bit of what else do you as a person have to give, whether that's helping out with a study hall, whether that's you know staying up late to do a project with somebody. It's it plays into more than just what you're expected to do on the football field. It's what else you have to give? I remember, I think it was OJ, Washington, and Ram were always the guys that would be like cramping all the time. So it's like they basically put their body on the line and would do anything and everything to the point where I remember OJ being on the table in the locker or no, the training room and him just be like, my chest is about to cramp up, and then just one second later, his arms are crossed over, his chest cramps, and he's like screaming because he's in cramps and full body cramps, you know, everything. So they're giving everything that they have at that particular time. Now, when we look back at things, it's it's can't could we have done more? It's like, yeah, we could have maybe sacrificed sleep here. We could have maybe sacrificed you know, uh, you know, maybe having a better diet here or something like that. But at the time you give everything you have. So that's kind of where, where my price kind of comes down to. Cause we all kind of go through like the same thing, but the extra little part of that is what more are you willing to give with what you have?
0: Um. I'm ready to go <laughs> run through a wall again. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Good. No, dude. Like I think you know what stuck out to me was what else do you have to give? Yeah. Right. And
1: um, we're all going to go through like with, Clint, with Clint Bruce, you know, he was saying it's it's all, you know,
0: the price is about, always pain.
1: It's always pain. But it's like what what are you giving to endure that pain? Like what else are you doing that's inflicting that pain too? Like maybe your pain threshold is higher than somebody else's. So that person's giving X amount and that's everything that they have. Where this person, Nishak, I remember, uh, who is it? It was freaking Sovi and Jeff DeLiz just being broke together, going through everything they can to get healed up and and everything to get back on the field. It's like they had to give part of their, their health, their knees, everything at that time. You know, it's like they went through something that I didn't have to go through. Cause I, I didn't luckily knock on freaking everything. I didn't have to have a knee surgery, but somebody else did. So they had to give something different from what I had to give, but it's all everything that you have.
0: What else do you have to give? Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, Corey, before we, uh, close this thing out, is there anything else you want to say before I, you know, shut it down?
1: Ah uh, no man, I mean the only thing I'd say is just like I really appreciate you know a lot of people have said this but you're, you're doing a great thing. I know we tried to do a little bit of this like group chat stuff during COVID and uh, kind of fizzled out a little bit and well, you're. Well,
0: uh... it's it's all about timing, like you said, <laughs> uh, and getting everybody else on the same page and timing and, and getting everybody on. Yeah. It, you know, um, it could be a good a good fun group conversation once the timing is right so i'll figure that out yeah
1: but no man i'll promise mean, I really that to you <laughs> yeah but just just the fact that you know i can hear you know we we wish we could stay in touch with everybody more but then just being able to have like these little moments where i turn on the price of mission as i'm walking over to the gym here now i have like a 5 10 minute walk i'm throwing that on I, while i'm at the gym i'm getting into it i'm freaking listening to that while i'm while i'm lifting and everything it's just I really appreciate what you're doing. It gives, you know, it gives us a sense to connect, whether we know we're connecting with each other or not. We get to listen to each other. We get to, you know, learn more about each other through this avenue and this this context. And it's, it's just been great. It's gotten me through a lot of my training here where I've just been kind of like, what the hell am I going to do with, you know, today? And I've just been like, well, I'm going nice. to listen to, you know, Arnold Taylor. I'm going to listen to Ram. I'm going to listen to, you know, Everybody talk about their price of admission and stuff. Get me
0: amped up. (laughs) That's the beauty of it. Sometimes I want to like maybe edit a few things, but at the same time, I hate to edit a few things (laughs) uh, because that's the beauty of it is Mm -hmm. people get to speak their mind, right? Yeah. And once you start editing the speaking of the mind, it gets a little... Like the government. So, um,
1: I'm sure my, uh, my I'm, I'm sure I was probably all over the place today, you know, kind of going back and forth with stuff, but, uh, well, it was, no, uh, it was a good talk. How my, how my mind works right now.
0: <laughs> Understood, brother. Hey, um, awesome conversation. Appreciate it. Um, and tell Elisa. Yeah, Lisa?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Elisa. Yep. <laughs>
0: that we love her and, uh, tell the family hello.
1: Yeah. Likewise. It was great seeing you and Amanda and the kids, you know, just, uh, just like a month or however many months ago. So uh, tell, tell them we said hello as well. We love them.
0: (laughs) Awesome. All right, dude.
1: All right, brother. See ya. Later.